Welcome to the Allies Podcast. I'm your host, Carmen Farino. Hello, this is Carmen Farino, and welcome to another edition of the Allies Podcast. With me today is John Valverde, the President and CEO of Youth Build USA. Welcome, John. Great to be here. John, I am... and we've known each other for several years, and um, one of the things that uh, that really kind of brought us together, and I think helped us really make a strong connection, is this idea that um, we can see the next generation of youth in the USA wanting to do and be more. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about why it's so important for people like you and I to to treat people who are young and who are looking to build something as equals. So give me a little perspective about Youth Build USA and, um, and, and what the, the students are like. Yeah, that's great. Uh, uh, so, such a passion for young people and their power and potential to transform themselves and their families and their communities in the world. And I always love sharing the, the founding story of, of Youth Build and in 1978 in East Harlem, uh, caring adults asked young people, if you had adult support, what would you do to transform the community? <laughs> and they said, we'd take back those abandoned buildings, we'd rehab them, and we'd create affordable housing for our community. So Youth Build Affordable Housing was born. And, and what's so great about it is uh, what you noted, that adults leaned into young people and said, you're the ones closest to the problems. You probably hold all the solutions and your voice matters and your agency matters. And it's through that action that they took together, that they developed the skills that uh, uh, led to the results that lead to the confidence that <laughs> young people need to be successful. And that partnership between caring adults who love young people because they see them and hear mm. them for who they truly are is the transformative element that frees a young person to say, I am somebody. And many times, you know this, Carmen, especially about Youth Build, many times the first time a young person ever hears the words, you're amazing. I believe in you. Anything mm -hmm. is possible for you. Is that a youth built program? Yeah. Uh, uh, and so on that foundation uh, is where you can add quality educational training, quality career development, leadership development, implement service elements for young people to that are have been traditionally the beneficiaries of service and public assistance now be the providers of service to their community. And it's transformative. That, that part is, is amazing to me, is that you've, you've developed um, a methodology and a discipline that has a give and take on both sides. And it's not just that you're educating these young adults in kind of skills development at the same time you're actually listening to them <laughs> and and kind of uh finding a, a middle ground here where you you build something together and it, and it could be the renovation of a home uh 
Uh, it could be uh, a different way of looking at life skills. But I'm, I'm continually impressed. And I've been at your headquarters. I've been at uh, your schools. I've been on job locations. And the same thing happens over and over is that there are these real and substantive discussions with people who are young where they're treated as equals. So why is, why is it so important to do that at this stage in these people's lives? You know, it's over and over again, we hear from, from young people who join a youth build program that uh, the systems were not designed for them. These are their words, right? We, mm. we, can, we can say that as well and, and maybe come to that conclusion on our own because of the high levels of, for example, dropout rates or the high levels of involvement with the criminal justice system that we see. Uh, but I think it's really now at this point in history so clear the structural injustices that uh, many communities suffer through that young people are born into. In many cases, multi-generational poverty is, is where our young people are coming from. 99% uh, were born into poverty and, and all the barriers and challenges that come with that. And uh, the other element here is the trauma, mm. uh, that being a part of a, a vulnerable, perhaps disadvantaged, these labels are tough, Carmen, but you know, yeah. we have to describe them in some way. Where, uh, they come out of those situations or journey through those situations, losing pieces of themselves every day. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they experience guilt from the many things that they live through, the shame of poverty alone, let alone the other uh, traumas they have suffered. These are young people living in guilt and shame. Uh, and you know, we all know adults who live in guilt and shame and hurt people, hurt people is one way to say it, <laughs> but hurt people also cannot experience their full selves and their full potential. So Youth Build, yes, we're about education and careers and uh, everything else that we want to support young people in their development of skills and their mindsets and their, their leadership. But the main piece is that youth build can be a place where young people can begin to heal. Mm. And the way that happens is if young, a young person comes in and they actually believe someone cares about them, they're not coming from a community and sadly, not very often not a home where, where they've experienced that, uh, someone cares about them. Okay. Wow. They care about me. Maybe I can trust these folks. And then if they trust us, maybe we can support them in listening to them hmm. and being with them so that they can share from this vulnerable place in a safe environment where they are empowered. Uh, and if they can start to share, Carmen, they can begin to heal. And that's what happens at a youth build program. They always had the potential, always. Yes, they didn't maybe have the opportunities. That's true. But it's when you unleash the guilt, the shame, the trauma, begin the healing, and they start to build confidence and believe in themselves that you see young people begin to fly. 
imagine a world where we're unleashing that potential and developing the leaders of today and the future. That's what we've observed over and over again. And that's what we want for young people. And that's what we need um, from young people for the leaders we need. Well, and I, and I see this, there's a couple of things. I've, I've, I have been doing this with youth build um, for almost a decade. And there was something that you said, um, I think we were at a, uh, an award ceremony or something like that. Uh, and it was recognizing the, the nature of um, partnerships. And you said, the, the thing you have to understand is that opportunity, well, you said, you said intelligence is evil, evenly distributed, but opportunity isn't. Mm-hmm. And that stayed with me because there's a, there's a piece that there's a danger here with people looking to save individuals to come in and be the, um, whether it's a white savior or whether it's a wealth savior, it doesn't matter. Um, you see it a lot in Africa where people will pour money into something as if, um, that's a solution. But what happens with youth build is that because there's such a give and take, because you're, you're really equally being led by all of the people involved, um, that condescension doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that the the thing that I like about this is, and I, and I had said it in a different speech, um, people who, who volunteer at YouthBuild, people who donate or otherwise become involved, they're, they're expecting to change the, the students' lives. What they're not expecting is for YouthBuild to change their lives. So talk to me a little bit about how being a part of YouthBuild now for a few years has changed your life. Well, it it's it has been an incredible journey, and uh, you're absolutely right to say it has changed my life. Um, you know, I, I have my own youth build story or journey to youth build story that that you know, we can talk about. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I have to say, Carmen, I I never imagined that I would be able to get an opportunity like this to be the CEO of a nonprofit with a global mission. I mean, there was a time in my life where I could have never imagined even having this conversation with you. Hmm. And I've learned to identify so closely with, with the young people because my background is similar, raised by a single mom, struggling to make ends meet, really dependent on the kindness of family and friends to make it through. Um, and I made it through all of that, but felt like in the end, were it not for mentors and caring people and frankly, second chances, uh, that I wouldn't be where I am today. And I might not even be alive today. Hmm. And what I love about youth build, it's not just about get your high school diploma or get your first entry level job. It really is about lifelong learning and the skills that young people will need. Well, and there's a, there's a piece in there that I try to tell everyone um, because you, you, need, you need to be engaged and involved in at least a couple of experiences with um, a group of students. And the one that I, I love is um, I brought a, um, an executive to the Philadelphia school. 
And it was supposed to be, you know, we see these all the time, right? The, the, the business person walks around, they shake hands, they pop into a classroom, they, you know, listen to a couple of things and then they go away. And it's a, it's a simple exposure to, to get a feel for the place. And this guy, um, had a PhD in, in, uh, chemistry and had run an aerospace business and he somehow, um, got into a classroom with 20 or 30 students and space travel came up and what was supposed to be a 10 minute conversation turned into, um, over an hour and they threw every question you could imagine at him. And these are kids who don't have a, you know, physics degree. They don't have a, a deep science background. They're learning and they're inquisitive. And he walked out of there and he said, I have never had that free form of conversation. And some of the questions they were asking, I could be in a room with a hundred PhDs and they would never ask questions that would puzzle me as much as those. And the advantage there <laughs> that, that I think is so amazing is this is a guy that works with, you know, SpaceX and NASA. And what these kids, what these students have is such an interesting perspective kind of um, unbound by all of these other academic or, um, or societal kind of um, structure. You know, people are afraid to say something that is dumb or afraid to say something that is uninformed. But as these students develop their confidence, they're not shy about asking questions. That's right. You know, and, and that part to me is so unique. So... <laughs> How do you, how do you put that in context for the, the power brokers, for the, for the decision makers? How do you explain youth build to a congressperson or, you know, to a business executive uh, in a way that shows that it's that different, that the experience can be that unique? You know, I, I think it's such a powerful uh, example, what you just described about what it means to be an ally. Uh, because when we describe or when maybe the media describes a vulnerable young person from a disadvantaged community, mm -hmm. uh, a youth build student, there is so much stigma associated with what that person must be like, think like, speak like, look like, um, that uh, I think what actually happens is our biases uh, are with us and we're coming as a guest to this program that supports young people who dropped out of school and are working to rebuild their lives but have you know struggles with families and, and their barriers that they're trying to overcome so they're going to look a certain way be a certain <laughs> way and then you come into the space and you realize and you alluded this uh, to this earlier wow, they have gifts, talents, and intellect in equal measure. They just haven't had the opportunities, nor have they been exposed to people who can broaden their horizons. Some of them may never have left their own block. They want to. They want to travel the world. They want to experience different yeah. cultures, but they just can't. How can we as allies bring that to them in a meaningful way that then opens their minds and their possibilities. And maybe they can travel to another 
country and visit another and experience another culture one day. But it starts with being an ally that's coming into a space without the judgment, without the discrimination, without the bias, with an openness to say, I want to support a young person in creating the next greatest version of themselves. I know Youth Build is a safe place where that can happen. I want to make a difference. I want to be an ally, but I don't want to help them. Or I don't want, as you described earlier, I don't want to come in and say, I'm helping you. Yeah. I want to partner with you uh, to support your you know, self-development and full self-expression and your full potential. And I think uh, the more allies come in with that approach, the more powerful the pathway becomes. Uh, but yes, over and over and over again, we hear Carmen, people who went in thinking they were going to help, and I'm using my, my air quotes mm -hmm. there, and come out transformed. And you know, that's, that's what's possible in allyship. Yeah, and, and I think with... Um there are so many different examples that I've I've seen on a job site. Um, you know, we had people who were experts at uh, at doing blown in insulation, and you know, it's 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 the type of thing where somebody has spent fifteen or twenty years um, installing or um, or inventing, right, innovating in this space, and they gave one of the blowers, um, you know, one of the wands to. Uh, a couple of students, and they just you know explained to them the basics. And one student was holding it differently, and um, they were they were very good at it. <laughs> and they said, uh, "Why are you holding it that way?" And they said, "Well, it just allows me to move easier." Now, this is coming from you know a conversation between you know a student who had never done this before and somebody who had done this for twenty years. <laughs> the person came away at the end of the day and said, uh, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna teach people how to hold it that way." Um, he said, I, I just, I watched this person and their kind of natural kind of ability and understanding of how to do it. They made it better. And I would have never gotten that somewhere else. And he flew off. I think they were, the, the students were fascinated because he had just flown in from Hawaii to insulate, uh, a giant warehouse and, and keep humidity low. And he was flying off to Alaska to insulate against extreme cold. Mm. And so I got two things from that. One, he came with an open mind. And two, he brought a perspective of a lifestyle and opportunity. And I found with the youth build students that when you sit down and talk with them, they don't necessarily want to know what it's like to be an accountant. But they do want to know what it's like to get up every morning and go to an office. Or, you know, they not necessarily, you know, the one person who, who wound up working in the glass field, he was fascinated by the way that technology worked. And so he saw in himself kind of a role to play in making dynamic buildings. So that idea of presenting a context and letting the students explore, how unique is that? Because I haven't seen it at very many other nonprofits where you're, you really are um, helping these students understand um, not just a career, but kind of... Um, you know, showing them what different ways of life are like. Yeah. You, you, what keeps coming up for me as I listen to you is it, so connected to how a young person, any person's mind is opened. 
And But I, I heard just recently, a few days ago, actually, a quote, we need to stop thinking about diversity and start, start thinking about inclusion. Mm-hmm. And I immediately translated it to mean, you know, uh, uh, diversity is a fact. You can't deny it. It's just Mm-mm. all around us. But inclusion is an act. And how do we support and partner with young people uh, by creating equitable, inclusive environments is what Youth Build is all about, actually. Yeah. It's so mm-hmm. fascinating to hear people describe like uh, the kind of place we need for, uh, for people to feel included and that it's an equitable space and they're describing a youth build program they're describing what you just shared uh, a place where uh, the variety and diversity of perspectives uh, shared with each other exponentially uh, opens doors and and that's what we see happening that that's the I, i think you you nailed it the idea of inclusivity allow so many more doors to open for everyone. And I had a friend who said, you know, diversity, you know, it's, it's like being in, if you want diversity, you invite a bunch of people to the dance, but if you want inclusivity, you actually ask somebody to dance with you. And, and that changes things. It's a, it's a hopeful activity to um, be inclusive and to take advantage of the knowledge and the experience of other people. Um, you know, to, today or tomorrow, they're going to sign this HR one bill that is uh, has a, a significant portion of it that goes at child poverty, and I think they said it, it could lift a, a half of the of the nation's children out of poverty. Um, when you talked about poverty, you talked about hope, and that's something I want to get into. Um, and you know, hope hope to me is best expressed with youth build when when you do surveys of how long the students expect to live. And and one that I heard of um, a student who was um, involved in uh, in dealing drugs, and they asked him how long he thought he would live uh, before he joined Youth Build, and he said to mid twenties. And after he went through the program, they asked him, and he said probably in my seventies. And to me, that was a that gives you a, a number. Sometimes does more than 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 a, a lot of other things that gave him a life. That gave him a hope of a of, of a much richer future. How do you explain that portion of it? That what you're really doing here is is helping people, you know, who are in poverty or maybe don't have that um, perspective to really open up a completely different view of who they can be. You know, for any of us, uh, and in particular the, the these young people. Uh, Having a vision for the future that you could live into is everything for mm. all of us. And for these young people, the only future they could imagine living into was uh, what they've seen all their lives. And mm. it likely looked like incarceration. It looked like mm. uh, unemployment. It looked like crime, violence, drug use, abuse of, of different kinds. Mm. So w- w- what happens when you say to a young person, anything is possible for you, and they start to believe it and gain confidence around it, and you support them, stand with them in 
them developing a vision for for their future that they never imagined <laughs> all of a sudden i mean it's hope on steroids it's anything is possible for me and you you said it uh, the number of times in these uh, uh, last 4 plus years at youth build that i've heard young people say youth build saved my life <laughs> is is well it's heart wrenching and devastating on one on one side but on the other side, that we can be a place where young people say, I matter, and mm. I can make a difference, and I can live past 20 years old, and I can have a full life of meaning and purpose. Like, what does a world that works for more people and eventually everyone look like? Mm. It looks like a place where people have hope, can find meaning and purpose, can make a difference. And you know that's that's what we're we're striving to make happen every day at, at Youth Build. Well, that's a that's a that's a self perpetuating philosophy, right? Because when you when you can take somebody who's in you know, and sometimes I refer to them as, as almost like dead spaces. If you're if you're below the poverty line and you're trying to subsist, most of your day is spent making sure that you and your family have food or that you have shelter. And it's and it's this hierarchy, right? The Maslow hierarchy. When you when you get to the point where you can build something different or bigger, then um, you're giving yourself choices and you're opening up this opportunity for you to take advantage of all your talents. And the more we tap into these students' expertise of what it was like where they came from, then the better we're going to be to expand this. And I think that's the part that I found fascinating talking to Congress people when we were doing <clears throat> fundraising for Youth Build. And you talk to a senator or uh, a congressperson and you say, look, the more you do with these people, the more happy accidents are going to happen down the road, the more other things are going to start to improve. So I want to sh I want to shift gears with that in mind to a couple of places that I think are dead zones. One is poverty and the other is incarceration. Um, you spent a little over 15 years um, incarcerated and you, you use that time to become an advocate. You use that time to help people understand why the prison system needs to be reformed. Um, am I right in saying that in some ways, if you're in prison, it, it feels like a dead zone. It feels like a place where you're where you're forgotten and and you don't see that there's a, there's an opportunity to develop and evolve. I, I I have to say that when I was first incarcerated, I thought my life was over. Mm -hmm. I I didn't think I was going to make it a day, let alone you know, the 30 year sentence that I had uh, received and, and I did end up serving a total of 16 years in mm -hmm. the end. But uh, it is a dead zone. It's, uh, I think what was most painful for me is just the brokenness of, of humanity in the space, you know, and, and it wasn't, um, I had just never seen so many broken people uh together in in mm -hmm. one space and the lack of hope uh yeah uh, dead zone is a uh, an appropriate description of it you know i've i've had <clears throat> several family members who've been incarcerated and 
when you one of the things that you wind up trying to do with them is to help keep them connected to the evolution of the outside world. And one of the things that I found with people in extreme poverty is is the same. Um, there was an article about somebody who was released after 30 years in prison, wrongly imprisoned. And all of that person's um, follow-up was via computer and the internet. And they had no context for it. So even the services, the things that were expected of them were outside of their experience. And, you know, when we brought a class of youth build students in um, and had them sit, or sit down with a bunch of people in the construction industry, it was the same thing. What they were looking for was, well, what's, what's the ecosystem like? You know, and, and the and the thoughtfulness and the and the engagement at that level was they didn't just want to understand the little thing, they wanted to understand the context. So what do you think needs to happen in these environments that will improve for those people who who in a lot of ways it's not just it's a dead zone, it's also a place where people get forgotten. What do we have to do to change that? You know, a a, a couple of things come to mind. Uh before we even get to that point, uh, when I entered the prison system, uh, I learned very quickly that 80% of the population read at the fifth grade level or lower. Mm. Um, and there was just so much illiteracy in, 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 the, in the prison that I couldn't even imagine how someone could be in their cell 24 hours a day without being able to read a book. And just the torture of that, of that existence, and is it really existence? Mm -hmm. You couldn't even escape mentally uh, to a different place because as you named, having the vast majority uh, grew up in poverty and in uh, the trauma of their of their community and their upbringing. Uh, so it's not like they have this imagination and experience that they can recreate in their minds to go to as a happy place or a safe place. Uh, they had the one block or this very small uh, uh, community that they were in because everything was so territorial. You couldn't even go two blocks over because mm. uh, your life might be in danger. Uh, and you're now incarcerated and not in a six by nine cell and you can't read. So I, I think uh, so often about that because I went in actually with education and mm-hmm. some college under my belt and you know, my father said to me, uh, I had been estranged from him, but I reconnected with him. And he said, accept full responsibility for your crime, seek to make amends and say yes as much as you can to help others and you will find purpose and meaning and be free. And Carmen, my yes was, they're sitting in six by nine cells and can't read. I've got to help them learn to read. <laughs> I've got to keep them connected to their families, even if I have to help them write the letters. And mm. uh, this is what it means because you you named like staying connected to the outside world. So many did not receive visits from family. 
So many, maybe this was the third, fourth time they were incarcerated and their family has given up on them. Uh, but so how do you stay connected to the outside world if no one even visits you for 10, 15, 25 years? And that was very, very common. That, that was around me all the time. If you can't even escape by reading a magazine. So I, I feel yeah. what's critically important in uh, economically disadvantaged communities or vulnerable communities and settings like the prison system, because they are a microcosm of, of the larger community. And you, you know this, and I don't know if everyone does, but it's like a specific small number of neighborhoods that fill mm -hmm. these prisons. Yeah, And so ha these dead zones, um, injecting education, injecting caring people, uh, uh, injecting healing into these communities and mm. in the prison system is the way forward. And, you know, I feel fortunate, really, uh, uh, to be able to say that I didn't just survive my incarceration, which is what we're talking about here, people who are just trying to survive. I was actually able to find meaning and purpose that allowed me to thrive. And I continue to be guided by that meaning and purpose today at Youth Build. Well, I mean, that's the, that, that idea of meaning and purpose. It, it's, it's interesting because, you know, reading in a, in a way opens up thousands of the experiences of thousands of people's lives to these individuals. And so, that helps them get a feel of empathy and a view of a wider world and potential choices. And then when they come back out to the community, you, you know, in a lot of cases, people that have been incarcerated with them have come from these communities. They all understand um, what's wrong with them. And you're creating much more of an empathetic opportunity. And I, and I want to talk about that because YouthBuild does something that I think is very interesting in that you select homes in a lot of cases that can be anchor homes that can spur an additional round of renovation and, um, and improvement. But it's always dedicated not for gentrification to, to move people out, but to help create uh, a sustainable kind of resilient community. So, so tell me why it's so important to work at both the microeconomic and an individual basis and then the macroeconomic for neighborhoods or cities, et cetera, um, in order for all of it to work. You know, it's all about communities. Uh, none of us stand alone. None of us survive or make it alone. None of us advance alone. We advance together and we advance as part of communities. And, you know, I, uh, uh there is this argument you know, forever in the criminal justice space regarding individual responsibility versus, you know, nowadays we're calling it more the structural uh, mm -hmm. elements of, of a community. And uh, it's great that perhaps a young person finds their way and then goes to another community that is perhaps already more stable. And that's often been the recommendation when someone's released from prison, don't go back to the community you came from. It's just going to suck you back in. 
you know, go somewhere new. Well, that's what's perpetuated the cycles for generations yeah. now. And it really is about you go into prison, you know, again, my, my, my framing here, and you use your time in prison. You don't allow it to use you. Mm-hmm. And use it to learn and grow and develop yourself. And you start to read, you start to write, you start to help others develop those skills. And then you bring back that back to the community to disrupt and break the cycles that uh, feed uh, prison systems, feed mm-hmm. the multi-generational poverty. And that's what, uh, again, I see as the possibility here, if a if a young person, and that's why the leadership element of youth build is so important, if the if the young person understands that they can make a difference, they do want to pay it forward, mm-hmm. and they do it in in community. That's what youth build is all about. So they start learning how to organize, how to be <laughs> civically engaged, how to. Uh, find the right partners, how to, you know, build across countries. Carmen, I got to tell you this story so quickly uh, 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 around uh, an example of this that I saw recently. We had young people in the United States, this is virtual during the pandemic, but mm-hmm. we had young people in the United States describing the impacts of racism on them and their families and their communities. That, uh, and they describe it in all the ways that, that we're both familiar with. And then mm-hmm. it gets passed over to young people in India. As you know, youth build is all around mm-hmm. the world. And the young people in India are describing the caste system they were born into and connecting it completely to mm-hmm. what they just heard described by the young people in the U.S. related to racial inequity. And then they pass it over to a young woman in First Nations Canada mm-hmm. describing the structural injustice and trauma of living on a reservation. And the power of these young people, with supported by caring adults, uh, for the first time in their lives sharing what structural injustice means to them with others and making the connections that this isn't just in my community, mm-hmm. this everywhere and we've got to be in it together an individual thriving isn't enough carmen we need communities yeah and you've um the relief that that people see when they realize it's not just them um that there are structural things that are making this hard you know john lewis said you know you you want to create the good kind of trouble right (laughs) you part of this with technology, especially with with young adults, is that they're more fluid with how to use it and understand it. And I always said that technology, you know, the internet in particular, really collapses time and space. So it can accelerate things in terms of time. It can put you, um, you know, give you an opportunity to have a message that, you know, works while you're asleep. But collapsing space can help people see other communities and what you said was was so full of hope that you know when these students who can become advocates and become allies to other people when they're given the opportunity to be empathetic to other people struggling i've never seen anyone more empathetic than these students i've never seen anyone more interested in helping 
And the, you know, the story that I had is um, there was a woman named Carmen because, you know, not every Carmen is a, uh, is an Italian man. Most of them are mm-hmm. Spanish Latino women. And um, we were, we were standing next to each other and, you know, you introduce yourself, I'm Carmen, you're Carmen. Um, and we were laughing about it. And I said, uh, you know, what are you doing? And she said, well, I'm the valedictorian for this graduating class. And I said, uh, well, you must be busy. She said, well, I am. I'm, I'm extremely busy. Um, I've, uh, it's a lot of this is scheduling. I have to do this. I'm trying to get to my, um, the job that I'm interning with. Um, and I have community service to do, but I have to do all of that before I get back to the shelter and pick up my daughter. Um, because the shelter basically closes its doors at nine o'clock. And I said, I I just want to back up here. So you're, you're going to school, you're doing an internship, you're doing volunteer service, you're raising a daughter and you're homeless and in a shelter? And she said, yes. And I said, I don't know how you do all of that. And she said, sometimes the things that I have to do are the things that help me get through this. So the volunteering helps her. You know, her daughter can see her taking control and charge and building a future. And, you know, this woman was getting hope and energy by reaching out. And the, and the fear that I have with, especially with youth, is that they turn inward and they feel more isolated and they feel more alone. And that was one of the biggest fears I had with COVID was how are the youth build students going to do? So, you know, how are they going to deal with this further restriction? Are they going to be more isolated? So can you tell me a little bit about how you weathered the storm now that it looks like we, we could see a light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, it's 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 so powerful to hear that story, uh, and it is such a, a common story in, in the Youth Build Network. But of course, not everyone hears it the way you did and, and responds the way you did. I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Most people see a, a young person who's maybe going through what you just described or just knows the community they come from labels them traumatized and troubled. Hmm. And um, I think, and then as a result of that framing, that view of, of this young person, we further isolate that young person. So what, what I think is coming up for me as I listen to you is I think so many people think about trauma as broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, trauma as needing fixing. I actually, in my experience with, with young people, I experience trauma as resilience. Mm-hmm. And I think during the pandemic, young people who've gone through the experiences we're talking about actually have more resilience, more of a growth mindset than most people even can even fathom. Mm -hmm. And they've already overcome more in their lives than many of us will ever have to. And and we forget that and we isolate them and by by thinking they're smaller or broken or need fixing or um you know can never amount to more instead of actually unleashing the power of that resilience and growth mindset. 
<laughs> and so I, I think the pandemic, of course, I, I, you, you and I uh, were kindred spirits in this regard. Like none of us want a young person to suffer any more than they have to. Mm-hmm. what it must be like for a young person in not the healthiest home situation to have to be uh, isolating at home, um, mm-hmm. what it is to not have a youth bill program to go to. And, and I have a quick story on that. During the pandemic, we started hosting virtual events. And finally, uh, one of the virtual events uh, uh involve young people who were able to go back to their program and Carmen, they say it was only like two, two of the like 25 programs on, on, on the call were actually in person that day. And when we gave acknowledgements and youth builds way at the end for, for everyone, these young people said with tears flowing, what it meant for them to be able to go to their youth build program again a safe place for them to learn and be mm-hmm. in community. And then the other element that I, that I want to talk about here just briefly is uh, this construction element that we started with, young people, youth build affordable housing. And now we've expanded to careers beyond construction. We're in, you know, I'm always hesitant to say now during the pandemic food service, but we're also in healthcare and IT. But what is the power of seeing a young person experiencing what it's like to give back to their community, and you named it, and not gentrify, but actually create affordable housing for a member of their community? might yeah. be rehabbing a home that was burned, for example. And forever, that young person, they graduate youth build, they go on to work in a completely different field, nothing to do with construction. But because they don't leave that community, when they walk down that block and many years later with their child holding their hand and they can say, I was part of that, mm-hmm. uh, it's just it's just so transformative. And then the community now no longer seeing this individual as someone who did harm or took from the community, but one who contributed and gives and helped it be stronger. What is the power of that kind of relationship? Uh, That's what we're talking about today. That's what it means to be an ally. And that, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's an emotional, um, that's an emotional thing when you know the people, when you, when you see these, these students and you get to know them and you, and you have a feel for them and you, you understand how they are elevated when they go back and they make a difference. And from, you know, that sense of purpose to the sense of legacy and, you know, something lasting there's, we tapped into this. And I, and I just want to, before I get to the, the kind of wrap up of the whole program, um, there was something that we, that we did, uh, and I just want to kind of explain why uh, we did a celebration like this. We did a home with Youth Build on Green Street in Philadelphia, and it was a um, home that had been abandoned for 20-some years. And a lot of the students lived in the neighborhood that worked on it. And when it came time to celebrate, it was warm. It was, uh, it was hot even. And we set up a bunch of tents. 
And there was a big debate about tents because they were expensive and about additional chairs. And what we did was we got those, uh, we got comfortable chairs and, um, we did that because we knew that the grandmothers and the aunties mm. in the neighborhood, if we brought comfortable chairs and we, and we put food out, they would come and they would talk. And what happened was um, these women who are the anchors of the community came out and the students got to hear from them what the neighborhood looked like 30, 40, 50 years ago and how appreciative they were for what the students were doing today. Mm. And there was something about that multi-generational, the, the, the wise people who had seen the vibrancy of the neighborhood, had seen it erode and then saw this hope. Connecting with these other people is one thing for us. You know, you are part of the program and running and administering it. Me as a volunteer or somebody who's, you know, partnering. But something different about the elders in a community coming out and embracing these kids. You know, these, these students had a different look on their face. And it was so smart of Youth Build to do that. And I think it is getting to what you said, um, the sense of community and connection. So what if you if you just have to sum up the youth build experience to somebody who's never seen it and 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 I've seen it operate around the world, what do people need to understand about youth build that is unique and different than anything else they've experienced. That love and a sense of belonging is the foundation that makes all the rest possible. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's just in the youth build movement, our network is full of caring adults is, is how I describe them who are now instructors or uh, mentors at a program or uh, a part of a, a teacher or a social worker. These are all folks with lived experience, probably guided to this work because they themselves were once a young person, just like the one they're now supporting and, and standing with. And imagine a network of people of lived experience who lead with our job is to make sure love is in this space and we're unapologetic about saying it mm -hmm. and that it's a place where people experience a sense of belonging because they're seen and heard. That's the key, Carmen. Mm -hmm. You can lay on top of, of uh, that even a mediocre educational program. We'd like, we'd like to think ours is, is uh, exceptional, mm -hmm. but when you lay education, career, leadership, civic engagement, uh, uh, and, and service on top of love and a sense of belonging, that's youth built. Yeah. Young people who were once seen only for their uh, zip code or their, their mistakes or the poor decisions they may have made or their families or upbringing, are now seen for the power and potential they hold to make a difference. Okay. So I, I think that is beautifully said and, um, and you've kind of crystallized my thoughts. I didn't have it as, as beautifully or eloquently said in my head. So thank you for that. Um, power and purpose. This is, this is how I want to wrap up. There's two questions that I typically ask. So what, and now what, so what, 
in terms of everything that we've experienced, the, the COVID, the bounce back, the structural changes that we've, that we've are trying to make in our society, the additional focus, what does it mean for youth, especially those that we're trying to, um, to give more hope and more opportunity? Well, the numbers are, are pretty staggering here. Right, and we have 350 million young people globally, um, mm. age 16 to 24, who are out of school and out of work. And the pandemic has created you know, disruption that we will see for a long time. I mean, just recently saw 60% unemployment for this age group here in the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. during the pandemic. Uh, so all of this is about remembering, you know, the future is young. And really the present is young. Uh, We Mm -hmm. thought millennials were gonna be the highest number of young people in the the history of of civilization. And now we're seeing that Z surpassed them and now generation alpha that's coming up will far surpass them. (laughs) So this uh, uh, idea of embracing the reality, and we talked about it as well, just, the diversity is one way to think about it because we're also you know, seeing diverse ethnicity at a level we've never experienced in, in, in our history. Mm-hmm. But uh, the importance of inclusion and making sure that these diverse perspectives are at the table and the growth of the number of women, uh, uh, Carmen, uh, we were 99% young men in 1978. Now we're 59% uh, men, 41% women. So we're, uh, uh, we need to own this and uh, support them and stand with them and be champions for them because uh, the future is now, the future is young, the present is young. That... Um that's a wonderful way to frame this. And I'll tell you the, the, this stays with me. This, these experiences and the way that you talk about youth builds stays with me. And the other day, uh, a thought popped into my head that I, I want to share with you. And it, it has to do with a, a piece of literature. Um, there's a author named Flannery O'Connor and she wrote, um, a book and a, and a short story that says everything that rises, rises must converge. And every time I think about youth build, um, that clicks into my head because the more that we elevate these these people and their opportunities and the ways that they can contribute and they feel that, they converge and the higher they go, the more they become advocates for and leaders in their communities and the more they affect change. And as you talk about this growing youth movement and the minority majority and the shift in power and the fear that engenders, you know, with, you know, some of the white community, um, the more we connect and the more we show that these are, that we have more in common, the more that, as I think the guy who coined this phrase, a guy named, a Frenchman named Deschardins said, remain true to yourself, but move ever upward toward greater consciousness and greater love. Mm-hmm. And so, so this is the thing, this is what I want to end with. Now what, what do we do? Bouncing back out of this, coming out of with this potential to galvanize a, a huge amount of young people to 
to change maybe some of the structural things that have perpetuated poverty or um, isolation, what do we do? How do we take advantage of this and make sure that, that, as you said, something good comes of it? I shared the story a bit earlier around the, this, these young people in the U.S. and then in India and then in mm-hmm. First Nations Canada. And what was really struck me the most about that was hearing the young people say, this is the first time in my life I've ever talked to other young people in my community about <laughs> these issues uh, with adults in the room. Mm. And then they said, and the first time I've ever talked to young people from other countries. <laughs> so I, I, that really, I've been holding that, Carmen, because uh, when you say, you know, now what? I think it's on us to support young people in making these connections with each other, having these conversations with each other. So they generate a force of equity leaders that transform mm. the world. I, I, can't, I can't end better than that. Um, the, the There's a handful of people, John, and I, I'll just say this because I think you need to hear it. Um, there's a handful of people that I know that if there's anything I can do, I, I will drop what I'm doing to help. And you're one of them. And it's it's because of what you just said. When when there's an opportunity and I and I talk to you, I see you constantly saying, how can I take what might be helpful or impactful for one and make it available to many? And I and I know your story enough to know that what your father said has become this mantra. And the number of people both you and Dorothy, who founded Youth Build, have um, have engaged with in the ways that you've changed how they think is profound. So I want to kind of end on that. I want to thank you for not just this interview, which I think was fascinating, but for the way you do what you do. It's not just that you do it. You do it with kindness and love and humanity. And although you're in a position of power, I never feel like you're that way when you talk with these students. I always feel like you are as much one of them as somebody who runs the program. And I can see the affection on their face. So maybe if you don't have the time to see it, I'm going to tell you that I see it. And I want to thank you for that. Thank you so much, Carmen. That means a lot to me. And I do want you to know I have always felt, always seen and heard by you. And that's who you are. And I'm grateful. Thank you, John. I really appreciate that. It means a lot. Um, Well, that's all the time we have. Uh, If you have any additional questions for John, please email us and we will um, get a chance to get those answered. And if there's any way that we can make the program better, please let me know. And then lastly, if there's somebody you think we should be talking to, somebody whose voice or opinion or activity needs to be heard um, as an ally, we would love to speak with you. So that's all the time uh, we have for allies right now. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.